Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Travo. I'm your host, Haley Dorodwan, and this is The Current State. Today, we will be speaking with Maria Oliveira about a topic near and dear to my heart, maritime law. For those of you who are not regular listeners, first off, how dare you? Second off, be sure to check out our episode, written by yours truly, on the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Now, Maria has a lot of fascinating info to share with us today, so let's get started. Hi, Maria. Hi, Haley. So, Maria, can you start with an overview of just what it is that we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, absolutely. So, earlier this year, China passed new revisions to their Maritime Traffic Safety Law, which regulates the passage of ships through China's territorial waters. The new provisions just went into effect on September 1st, and they've triggered backlash from Western observers and from countries in the South China Sea. The backlash is happening because the Maritime Traffic Safety Law, which I'll call MTSL, is seen as an illegal attempt to expand the maritime boundaries of China's sovereignty. So in response, the U.S. military performed a freedom of navigation operation. Now, freedom of navigation operations are nothing new. The United States has conducted these operations plenty of times before. And the point is to sail a ship to a place where China claims sovereignty, but where they actually don't have sovereignty, or at least where the U.S. thinks they don't have sovereignty. So it's just a statement meant to send the message that you don't own these waters and you can't tell us what to do. On September 8th, the U.S. sailed the USS Benfold to the Spratly Islands, which are one of the disputed territories in the South China Sea. And the narrative that was put forth by China's state-run media was that the U.S. was trespassing into their territorial waters, and they chased the U.S. ship out. But the U.S. military said, no, China didn't chase our ship out. It was a successful mission, and we stood up for the principles of international law and for the sovereignty of Southeast Asian countries who also have territorial claims to the South China Sea. So this little spat, you could call it, implicates a larger controversy over the legality of China's activities in the South China Sea. In particular, the most recent amendments to the MTSL raise two primary questions. First, are these regulations consistent with the principles of freedom of navigation and the right to innocent passage? And second, is the MTSL's definition of China's territorial seas compatible with international law? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Can you start by explaining what is encompassed by the right to innocent passage? The right to innocent passage is enshrined in the 1982 United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea, or UNCLOS, which governs maritime sovereignty, and it defines innocent passage by what it's not. Passage is not innocent if it's, quote, prejudicial to the peace, good order, or security of the coastal state, unquote. So applying this to the MTSL, there are some new provisions that on their face are legal as long as their application is consistent with this principle. For example, Article 19 of the MTSL authorizes China's, quote, maritime administrative agency to establish ship routing and reporting areas, traffic control areas, and restricted navigation, unquote. These types of traffic regulations are permitted by UNCLOS as long as they're not used or abused to impede the right to innocent passage. I thought there was near complete sovereignty over territorial waters. So sea listeners, we're learning together here. Maria, can you talk a little bit more about how this right to innocent passage is implicated by China's actions? 
Yeah, so there's another provision, Article 54, which requires certain types of ships, namely those carrying hazardous materials, to notify state authorities prior to entering territorial waters. Now, the problem here is whether this requirement of prior notification is consistent with maritime law as set forth by UNCLOS. On the one hand, prior notification requirements came up at the UNCLOS negotiations, but were specifically left out because they did not garner enough support. The president of the UNCLOS conference even confirmed afterwards that a ship exercising its right of innocent passage has, quote, no need to acquire the prior consent or even notification of the coastal state, unquote. So all of this weighs against the legality of states requiring prior notice for nuclear-powered or hazardous ships entering their territorial waters. But from the Chinese perspective, the matter is not so simple. They would argue that just because UNCLOS does not expressly allow coastal states to demand prior notice of passage from foreign vessels, that doesn't mean that doing so is illegal. In fact, there are already several other countries who require prior notification to enter their territorial waters with either nuclear ships or hazardous materials. Some countries, including the U.S. and the United Kingdom, oppose any kind of regulation on flag states' rights to carry hazardous materials into other countries' territorial waters. Other countries, like Canada, require prior notification when ships enter their territorial waters with hazardous materials. And there are nations like Egypt and Malaysia, which take this a step further and require that these ships receive explicit authorization from their government before entering. Lastly, there are states that outright ban ships from carrying hazardous materials into their territorial waters. So ultimately, the legality of prior notification requirements hinges on whether nuclear-powered ships and ships carrying hazardous materials negatively impact a coastal state's, quote, peace, good order, or security, unquote. And there doesn't seem to be an international consensus on this question. So MTSL Article 54 seems less like a blatant violation of international law and more like China taking an official stance in a wider international debate. So if we're to conceptualize MTSL 54 as more of a permissible interpretation than a violation of international law, where do we stand with the other provisions of China's maritime traffic safety law? Outside of Article 54, two provisions that more directly conflict with international law are Articles 44 and 52. Article 44 prohibits innocent passage through restricted navigation zones that are to be designated by China's Maritime Administrative Agency. UNCLOS permits these types of restrictions only if they're temporary and if they're for purposes related to military and security matters. But Article 44 allows these curves to occur for any purpose and without time limits, so it's clearly illegal. Article 52 faces a very similar issue. It implements traffic control restrictions for safety purposes, which include limitations on speed, delimitation of traffic control zones, and again, restrictions on innocent passage. Now, the former two measures are legal if performed within China's territorial waters. But again, under UNCLOS, Countries cannot restrict innocent passage except for military purposes. Yet Article 52 enumerates five non-military purposes to justify these restrictions, so it is also clearly illegal. 
So these two articles, 44 and 52, are examples of China being overly broad in its interpretation of the license to restrict innocent passage within its territorial waters. And they illustrate how some of the MTSL's contents are clear contradictions of international law. You mentioned at the start of the episode that China's definition of its territorial waters is controversial. Can you get into that a little more? What makes China's approach so controversial? Absolutely. So in Article 2, the MTSL defines Beijing's territorial sea as, quote, sea areas under the jurisdiction of, unquote, China. This vague terminology refers to waters extending 12 nautical miles from what China considers its territorial land. 12 nautical miles from the coast is the legal standard for determining a country's territorial seas, but the controversial part is what land China claims. China claims a number of offshore islands in addition to the mainland, including Taiwan and several islands in the South China Sea, including the Spratly Islands, which we mentioned earlier. Because China claims all of these extra islands, it defines its territorial seas to be much broader than what is internationally accepted. Their version of their territorial seas is designated by the nine dash line, which is a line literally made up of nine dashes that's drawn on the map that encompasses 90% of the South China Sea. Now, their claims of sovereignty over the South China Sea islands rely on their interpretation of their alleged historic rights to the region. China claims to be the first to have discovered the islands and established communities and economic activity there. Beijing also asserts that for two millennia, its jurisdiction has been continuous and unchallenged. It's true that historical documentation and archaeological evidence, such as ruins, pottery, and coins, all demonstrate a Chinese presence on the South China Sea's islands at several points over the centuries, and even as early as 111 BCE. However, the documentation and archaeological records alone are not dispositive of China having the sole legal claim to sovereignty over the islands and their surrounding waters. First off, the record is sporadic, and it only proves that Chinese people lived on the islands at some points in time, but it doesn't demonstrate that the state exercised any kind of continuous jurisdiction or administration over the islands. And second, China's Southeast Asian neighbors have historically undertaken economic and explorative endeavors in the South China Sea as well. So China is not the only claimant. Dictum from a 2016 UN tribunal case stated that while Chinese fishermen and navigators worked in the South China Sea and utilized the islands, so did people of other countries. Vietnam, for example, claims that it has exercised sovereignty over the Paracel and Spratly Islands since the 16th century, and it too has artifacts and historical records to show for it. So China's interpretation of its historic rights seems rooted in a perspective that defines China by the extent of its sphere of historical and cultural influence at the expense of its neighbors. On top of this, the aforementioned UN tribunal case held that China's conception of its historic rights has been misguided with respect to the principles and regulations set forth by UNCLOS. So in this case, the Philippines sued China for violating its exclusive economic zone. Exclusive economic zones, or EEZs, enable a country to have exclusive rights to subsurface ocean resources that lie beyond a country's territorial waters. The Philippines' EEZ overlaps with Beijing's nine-dash line, and because China considers the nine-dash line to be the boundary of its territorial waters, 
it believes that it has a right to use resources that are within the Philippines' EEZ. The tribunal held in favor of Manila, and it determined that any historic rights that Beijing may have had to maritime resources in the South China Sea were, quote, extinguished, unquote, if they conflicted with any EEZs established by UNCLOS. So what this decision implies is that the MTSL is definitely illegal if it applies to any other country's EEZ. That was a fantastic overview, Maria. Thank you. Okay, so not only is there a lot going on here from a legal perspective, the historical elements of this dispute are also highly contentious. I know this is a tall order, but can you give our listeners a forest through the trees review of what China's MTSL means for international law and relations? Yeah, so it's doubtful that China's claims to the South China Sea Islands would hold up in an international court, but it's likely that China intends the MTSL to apply beyond the limits of its legally sanctioned territorial seas anyway. What this means is that even the provisions of the MTSL that are legal can lead to illegal activity if they're enforced outside of China's internationally recognized maritime border. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming to speak with me today, Maria. It's been great having you on the podcast and learning about China, the MTSL, and my favorite topic, maritime law. Travaux is brought to you by Haley Duradawan, Kayleen Kosla, and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current. Please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Travo. See you next week. Au revoir.